The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you, wishing to construct a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there is enough for its completion? Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlooker should laugh at him and say, this one began to build, but did not have the resources to finish. Or what king, marching into battle, would not first sit down and decide whether with 10,000 troops he can successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops? But if not, while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, any one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus has a problem. It's really a big problem, actually. Um, in this part of the Gospel of Luke, he's been uh, preaching and teaching and uh, healing and doing all sorts of wonderful things, and he has big crowds following him, and they're all very approving, and they're applauding him, and they love him, and he's, he's like a big star on the stage of Galilee, and it's like one of our own. This carpenter from Nazareth is like a prophet, and he preaches so beautiful, and he feeds us on hillsides when there's not enough food, and we all have bread and fish to eat enough, and, and he heals blind people, and he heals lepers, and he heals people who are lame and it's wonderful. He's got big crowds and there's lots of enthusiasm and everything is great and, and people are excited and happy and applauding and it's like, like Jesus is just, you know, in the process of winning Galilee's Got Talent or something like that, you know. So everybody's great. And they love Jesus and everything's wonderful. But Jesus knows that, that this is not going to last. Jesus knows that as he heads towards Jerusalem in the south, he leaves the green and the beautiful wheat fields of Galilee and the lake and the fish and heads down to rocky, dry old Jerusalem, that life for him is going to be radically different. That once he gets down there, it's going to be not applause, 
and not approval and not big crowds. It's going to be thin and dry and hard. And he's going to find himself persecuted and carrying a cross that is way too heavy for him. And finally, of course, he knows that in the end, the end will not be a pretty one at all. And so he turns to the crowds in Galilee and says, Okay, folks, it's really, really nice that you like me. It's really, really nice and wonderful that you're following me. It's really, really wonderful that you're applauding me and approving me and I've brought excitement to your boring lives. But that's not enough. If you're going to follow me beyond Galilee, then you have to do what I'm going to do. You have to experience what I'm going to experience. You have to stick with me, not just in the happy times, but also in the difficult trials that are coming. And if you're not prepared for that, if you're not ready for that, if all you want is the fluff of the gospel, beautiful as it is, you want the sweet stuff, the happy stuff, the approving stuff, you want the, 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 the gospel that doesn't challenge you to, to be more than who you are, then, then you're not really going to follow me. And we know that a lot of people didn't follow him. So Jesus is lecturing them and saying, it's not enough to just applaud me. And enjoy the show. Very, very soon it's going to be time for you also to carry your crosses. For you also to endure the suffering. For you also to go to Jerusalem with me. If you're truly my followers. My disciples. And, and Jesus knows that most of the people who've been applauding him and approving him, these great crowds are not going to follow him to Jerusalem and certainly not to Golgotha, Calvary. Even, even as we know well, Judas, his own apostle, and Peter, his own apostle, are not going to do a very good job of following Jesus to the end. So that's Jesus' problem. He's got big crowds, Lots of approval, lots of applause. But that's not what counts for him. What counts is, as he says in the gospel, carrying your cross with me. That's Jesus' big problem. So Paul has a problem too. In the second reading, Paul's letter to Philemon, Paul's problem is Philemon. And it's a, really the same problem that Jesus has with his crowds. Philemon is a wealthy man because we know he had slaves. He had to have money to buy slaves. He had to have money to sustain slaves and to support them, keep them busy. So Philemon obviously is a very wealthy person. We also know that Philemon was a very good Christian. He was a guy who must have been converted by Paul, came to the faith, and, and loved it. I'm sure that Philemon loved to gather with the fellow Christians on Sunday morning and, and celebrate the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, and to listen to Paul preach and to, and to do all those wonderful things together. You know, it was beautiful and it was touching and it was moving and it was you expanding your brain and your heart and you had all these wonderful people with you. 
But here's the problem for Paul. One of Philemon's slaves escapes. He runs away. And where does he run? He runs to Paul, who's now in prison. And he becomes a great friend of Paul. And Paul converts him to Christianity just like he did Philemon. And suddenly Onesimus, the slave, is so beloved by Paul. He's like his, his right-hand man. And he's helping Paul. And Paul becomes like his father. And, and somewhere along the line, we can only presume that Philemon hears that his escaped slave is with Paul. And he says, send him back. I want my slave back. And this is Paul's problem. How do I send this beloved son of mine, this brother of mine in Christ, back to slavery? To, to, to one of my brothers in Christ. So he writes this beautiful letter saying, you know, Philemon, it's all wonderful that you're a fellow Christian and that you love everything, but here's the real test of your commitment to Christ is to recognize in Onesimus your slave, a brother in Christ, and to love him like I love him. Yes, he's a slave. He's the lowest of the low. He's, you know, he counts for nothing in your mind, in the culture, the society of our times. But look, he has a heart, and he has a soul, and he has a mind, and, and he's one of ours. He's now our brother. He's in Christ with us. So yes, I'm going to send him back to you. But I'm asking you to do something that's beyond your imagining. I'm asking you to receive him not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. In other words, it's not enough, Philemon, that you go to Mass on Sunday. It's not enough that you love the liturgy. It's not enough that you enjoy the fellowship. It's not enough that the, the things that are nice about your faith and your religion and this new way that you're following, if it doesn't in some fashion or other challenge you to love as Jesus loved, to see in Onesimus a brother, a brother in Christ, and, and that's, of course, the big problem that Paul faces as he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. And, and we don't really know how that ends. So if Jesus has a big problem, and Paul has a big problem, and it's really the same problem, one very general, crowds, the other very particular, Philemon, can we presume that we too in our own times as Christians have a similar problem? You know, is it possible that we in our faith, in our religious life, are like the crowds? We enjoy the beautiful things of our faith. We love coming to church and we love the drama of the Eucharist and we love the beautiful music, whether it's contemporary or Gregorian. We love the incense. We love all of that stuff. We love the fraternity and the fellowship. We love coffee and donuts. It's all wonderful. But, but, when push comes to shove, are we actually living the hard part of the gospel? Are we committed to carrying the cross with Jesus 
That's the hard question. That's the big problem for us in our own time, just as it was in the time of Paul and in the time of Jesus. And, and we know what do the outsiders say about us? People who don't go to church, what do they say about we who do go to church? You're all a bunch of hypocrites. They love to remind us of that, and it's good that they remind us of that. Because it forces us to examine our conscience and to ask ourselves if we're coming to church for the happy stuff or are we coming to church because this is the most beautiful expression we have of the deeper mysteries of our faith that we are actually living with Jesus his gift of himself to us and to the world there are at least three great markers of how well we are doing in actually living the faith in a committed way that's beyond just you know the, the happy stuff of religious life the first marker is is how do we treat the stranger how do we receive the stranger how do we care for the stranger in our lives that's exactly the problem that Paul poses to Philemon how are you going to receive this slave how are you going to welcome him no longer as one who serves you but as a brother with whom you share meal table fellowship in the Eucharist and it's our problem too how do we receive how do we care for the stranger the slave the immigrant the people who live on the ragged edge of society that's the first marker for examining our conscience that this religious practice of ours is more than just fluff. The second marker is also important. Jesus makes it very clear that one of the primary responsibilities of his followers is to forgive. To forgive the person who offends us to forgive the person who hurts us, to forgive even the people who persecute us and take our lives from us. Forgiveness is built into the Christian way. And we have to ask ourselves over and over and over again, how am I at forgiving? Because if we're not good at that, then we're not really doing a very good job of living the gospel of Jesus in the good times and in the hard times. And the third great marker of the Christian way, the Jesus way, that we can use to kind of measure our own lives and how we're doing, is, is the cross image. Jesus says in the gospel, you know, carry your cross. What's he talking about? He's talking about perhaps a lot of things. He's talking about all the disasters that befall us in life. He's talking about diseases that befall us in life. And he's talking even about death itself. How do I react and respond and accept or not accept those realities in human life? Is it all poor me? Oh, poor me. Oh, poor me. This bad thing is happening to me. Or are they like they were for Jesus' opportunities to give love to other people? 
to share our lives through suffering, to make it a sacrifice, to make it holy, to turn it into something meaningful, a way of giving of myself, as even death itself was for Jesus. And all of these things are really hard to do. But they're what Jesus asks of us. If we are going to be people who are more than just the crowds who applaud, more than just the people who come to church on Sunday morning but don't live the gospel when it comes to their neighbor, more than people who just say, oh, life is one bad thing after another. You better get used to it. For those who are true disciples of Jesus, we have to receive and care for the stranger. We have to forgive. We have to turn our sufferings, our disasters, our diseases, even our deaths into gifts. And to the extent that we do that, when we finally meet our Creator, when we finally meet Jesus in the fullness of the kingdom of God, He won't have a problem with us.